Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 74 movies, one cage. This is episode 40, Christmas Carol, the movie, from 2001. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski, and this does two things for Cage Club. It completes the Cage Christmas trifecta, and also gives us our first animated Cage movie. Yeah, we finally get to see him transcend the human form and what would he look like as a cartoon. This is adapted from the Charles Dickens story, Christmas Carol, with Tiny Tim, with Ebenezer Scrooge, with all the characters you know and love. I was reading up a little bit about it on Wikipedia just to see how it differentiated, and the sort of unique thing about this movie from what I read is that Belle, Ebenezer Scrooge's girlfriend in the past, She's featured a lot more prominently in this movie, and she's not married to someone else like she is in other adaptations. So it's kind of a unique story, but I'm not too familiar with A Christmas Carol or other adaptations to really speak on whether this is one of the better or, you know what I mean? I'm not sure how this stacks up to other adaptations. I hear you. I'm kind of familiar with the Christmas Carol. I've never read the novel or the story, but I grew up with the Mickey Mouse version, which introduced the world to Uncle Scrooge, the character who would go on to star in DuckTales, the animated series, which I also loved growing up. Later on in life, I saw a couple cartoon versions, and then in my 20s, I discovered the 1951 Christmas Carol starring Alistair Sim, and I think that has sort of always been my go-to around holiday seasons and stuff like that. So that's the one I most directly sort of compare other versions to. There's just been so many. Patrick Stewart's played him. They did the adaptation with Bill Murray as Scrooge. This story is retold over and over again. And so the movie stars Simon Callow as Scrooge and also as Charles Dickens. Simon Callow, who I feel like I should be more familiar with than I actually am. I know that looking on IMDb, he's from Amadeus and Ace Ventura and Four Weddings and a Funeral. It also stars Kate Winslet and Nicolas Cage. It's a traditional adaptation in that it's set in Britain. And I was wondering, I was hoping if we were going to get British Cage, and we sort of really don't. We kind of get like ethereal voiced Cage, but we don't necessarily get British Cage. I mean, still the closest thing we have is probably Peter Lowe from Vampire's <laughs> Kiss. Yeah, I was actually kind of disappointed about that coming off of Captain Corelli's Mandolin, where the accents were left and right. Everyone was putting on the accent. Uh, I was sort of expecting the Nicolas Cage British accent here, you know? It's animated voiceover work, so you get to be more embellished than you actually are when you're acting, you know, in live action. And I think Nick Cage has, like just a well of voices to pretty much you know draw from already that he seems like a really good candidate for animated voiceover stuff when he gets down to it he's not doing that much he's kind of doing the traditional spooky ghost he's not in the movie all that much i mean he plays the ghost that brings scrooge to his different visions right he has one little monologue early in the movie that gives him a little bit to work with but like outside of this introduction to the character and in sort of introduction to the actual part of the movie, the main part of the movie, he doesn't really have anything else to do. I wasted my days hoarding money, thinking about myself. I closed myself to the needs of my fellow man. Now I see the need, feel the want, unable to ignore, but incapable to help, roaming forever restless in the upper winds this time of year oh. 
I suffer most. Listen, Ebenezer. You shall be haunted by three spirits. Haunted? Expect the first when the bell tolled one. Couldn't I see all three at once and have it I'm a busy man, Jacob. Oh, I know you are, Ebenezer. I see the weight and length of the chains you bear. You've worked on them hard the past seven years. But it's not too late. You can still escape my fate. Yeah, when the movie starts, he's already dead. He plays Scrooge's business partner, Jacob Marley, who has died when the movie has started. Christmas Eve, I believe, is also the anniversary of his death, which comes into play a little bit. And you're right, he's he's not in this version as much as he's in other versions. His character is sort of shortchanged and substituted for the Bell story, as far as I can tell. When Scrooge is taken back in time, you sort of see how him and Jacob Marley were partners, you know, and I was expecting to get the Living Cage cartoon version and uh, just have more Nick Cage in this film altogether. What's kind of weird is that the way that they draw Scrooge kind of looks like Cage. You get that sense like he sort of has the kind of nose, the Cage nose. Scrooge in this movie is younger. Seems like he might be in his 40s. If this were like a live action adaptation, it seems like Cage would be better suited to play Scrooge than this ghost. So it's kind of weird to see kind of a guy who looks like Nicolas Cage running around this whole movie and then only have Cage's voice on screen or in your ears for a couple minutes. I remember a few years back taking one of my nephews to see the Robert Zemeckis Jim Carrey adaptation of A Christmas Carol, and that's the one where Jim Carrey basically played everybody and they animated over him. You know, they did motion capture. Yep, yep. And I'm thinking now, like, that should have been Nick Cage. You know, like, <laughs> I think he would have been great as Scrooge. You're right. Like, that's a very meaty role. I, I, I think he could take that journey and, you know, emotionally chart that very well. So, yeah, that's a, that's a good call the ghost that he plays the ghost of jacob marley kind of looks a little like cage but it's just such a traditional design i don't know i don't feel like they did very much to capture his likeness now the art in this animated movie i i like the visual style i don't know really how to know how to describe it it's kind of old-timey sort of classic disney a little bit but like there's not a lot of facial expressions there's not a lot of things going on that's sort of the most excitement in the movie are the two mice that sort of follow Scrooge around, constantly on the prowl for food. They're gesturing, they're pointing, they're doing this, they're doing that. The actual people, it's just a lot of people sort of standing still. And I like the way it looks, but it just, there's not a whole lot happening. I agree. For a cartoon geared towards children, it's pretty dark, you know? I mean, like you mentioned, they have these two mice for the kids to sort of follow the journey with and everything, and they're cute, but, you know, it's about these guys running around, like, throwing people into debtor's prison, and it's just, you know, very dark and Dickens, and the snow is brown because of the coal, and there's soot in the air, and you just really feel how unsort of appealing it all kind of felt to me, in a way. Later on, it got a lot better when it seemed to be more experimental with its animation style and somewhat bringing in watercolors and other types of medium, it seemed. But for the most part, this is 
a rather traditional, I don't know, almost low budget, I would say. I think it suffers from that. I think it's low budget, sort of try and get it out for kids that haven't really seen very good animation or better animation, but it's serviceable. If anything, maybe it's the lack of budget and possibly the direction the director took it. You're right in that, like, toward the end of the movie, it gets a little bit more experimental. Like, they have the Ghost of Christmas Past, and she's this bright green, and she stands out against, like you were saying, sort of the browns of this movie. Like, this movie is just very brown. And, like, she's flying in the air, and she's got leaves going around her. And, like, there's really kind of cool visuals with her. But, like, for the rest of it, like, looking at Tiny Tim, like, just everything in his life is brown. Like, it's <laughs> it's geared toward kids, and I don't know if they're necessarily going to be able to articulate this. Painting, like, a depressing picture of life in London at this time. Nothing good in their life. And, you know, I guess this is sort of the realization that Scrooge has. He could make these lives better. Like, he has the way to make them happier and to give them a better year or better Christmas or better whatever. It's just depressing to look at. (laughs) Yeah, and they do try and cheer it up a little bit that they can with some musical numbers or, you know, the mice like we mentioned. And it's always seemed weird to me that this story in particular appealed to children. Maybe it's just because of the ghosts and the time travel aspect. And, you know, it's got sort of this science fiction thing going on. And also mentioned with the family man, how there's similarities with that. And it's a wonderful life. And there's all kinds of wibbly wobbly time travel going on and stuff. However, with much of Dickens, you know, it's about the hard life that people were living in London at that time, right? People like Tiny Tim, you know, he will be lucky if he lives past, what, 12, 13 years old? I don't know. On the one hand, I wonder if this should be adapted for very young children in the first place. But on the other hand, if you're going to do it, you know, do it like Disney figured out a way to make it, you know, fun and cheery and still keep in grave diggers and the specter of death and all those sorts of aspects as well. There seems to be a way to do it. It and they just didn't really crack the code. And poor Tiny Tim gets like a bucket of water to the face. Like, <laughs> he really doesn't have the best life, and then he's just in the beginning of the movie, Scrooge hits him in the face with a bucket of water. Like, this kid has a rough, rough life. The main thing that I kept asking myself while watching this movie is like, why does this exist? Why do they make a Jim Carrey one? Why does anyone sort of adapt a story that's been told many, many times? I don't know if this is necessarily completely unique. Like, I don't know if this has a reason to exist. Should this movie have been made? It's weird. It almost seems like someone was given, like, a grant to make this or something. (laughs) You know, or like it was a public access effort or or something. I don't know. Or someone's pet project or, you know, maybe a studio was barely keeping its head above water and and this was the last thing they were making. There's so many kind of questions like that. There are definitely better versions. I even, you know, think there's better kid-friendly versions. I hate to say there's no purpose for this movie. I mean, Nick Cage is in it after all, you know. I don't sure. <laughs> you know, that gives it value to me. That's a quandary. I'm not sure. I mean, how do you feel about this? I don't know. I mean, it just didn't it, it never really grabbed me. I mean, in terms of the three Cage Christmas movies that we've done so far for this podcast, Trapped in Paradise is not the kind of comedy that I normally like, but there's a lot to enjoy there, especially, you know, Cage wearing sunglasses for entire scenes. We talked a lot about how great the family man is. This is one where just, you know, I'm not going to add this to my rotation of Christmas movies in December. Like, nothing about it really did anything for me. And I don't want to say that it's bad, because, I mean, it's well made and, like, it looks nice. The art style is pretty cool. And there is Nicolas Cage in it, so, of course, there is that. But, like, it didn't do anything to make itself stand out as unique and make it a movie that I would ever tell anybody, like, oh, you have to see this. Plus the fact that the movie from start to finish is 77 minutes, 
and it's like there's like six or seven minutes of credits. Like it's <laughs> barely like we, you know we've watched some short movies here, but like this is real, real short. Yeah, I, I feel like by focusing on the Bell character, it wasn't enough new material for me to sort of add this original spin on the story. I, I think like maybe if they just stuck to the tried and true parts of the material, or like you say, it's only 70 some odd minutes, if, if they just added more to it, flesh this thing out a bit, perhaps maybe then it'd have more rewatch value. Yeah, as it stands, I think I'm with you. It's kind of like this this one-time view, this this cage oddity, if you will. You know, Kate Winslet's in this too, and everyone does good voiceover work. You know, I don't feel like anybody's annoying or no one's over the top or anything like that. So it's not necessarily their fault. You know what I mean? That's not the problem. There's just better versions out there. Also in this movie is Kate Winslet's sister, Beth. Like, I don't know if Kate Winslet's family made this, you know what I mean? I don't know. (laughs) I don't understand really, like, why this exists. I mean... We talked about last movie with Captain Corelli's Mandolin. We've talked a a couple other times. This is one of those movies where you sort of have to wait for Cage to appear. That his character's name shows up in the first couple of minutes. That Scrooge's office still says Marley and Scrooge outside. So he's still part of the building. He's still part of Scrooge's life. He's still in this world. But Cage the Ghost doesn't show up for 20 minutes. And then I was like, oh, okay. So he's going to sort of bring him through and show him these different visions. Like, I know enough about Christmas Carol that I know he's going to see the past, the present, the future, all sorts of stuff like that. But, like, he doesn't. Like, he pops up, what, like, as a, as a doorknob and, like, what else? He just comes up from time to time and just has these little one-line or just sort of pop-ins here and there. But I can't imagine he spent more than, like, an hour in the recording booth for this. Like, there's just nothing there for him to do. I think that I'm more critical of this movie as a Cage Club movie just because he's not in it enough. Yeah, I I totally agree with all that. Like I said, like he, they kind of cut his character out of the middle of this film. Uh, from the versions I can remember, while Scrooge is seeing his past, you know, we see him as like a lonely kid. His father didn't really have affection for him and ships him off to London to become like a clerk. One, two, three, you know, get on with your life. And then like the guy he works for is like awesome, you know, he loves Christmas. He's having a great day every day. And, and, he, and that's where he meets Marley, his partner. And he's just not in this movie. He's just not there in this version but he is in the story and they've just cut him and i feel like if we got to see him come and warn scrooge as a ghost saying like you know look what happened to me this is what happens when you die if you keep being a miser and then we see marley as a kid as like this like really fun awesome guy who's great to be around we're like oh my god what happened to this these guys are just totally been corrupted their souls are gone and you know we just would have had more substance to that character but as it is yeah he pops in at the beginning as like this harbinger saying you're going to be visited by three ghosts and then at the (laughs) at the very end he's like i told you you were going to be visited you know like (laughs) i hope you listen from now on and and that's it he's just to sort of bookend that mystical journey come ebenezer you have no time to waste look how time has wasted me so we talked about with City of Angels how like Meg Ryan's character was just there to serve as Cage. Here it's kind of like the reverse. Like We want to see more Cage, but he's just there to sort of guide Scrooge on his journey. As sort of outraged as we were for Meg Ryan that she wasn't this fully fleshed out character, it's come around full circle not too many movies later where it's the same thing happening here, and Cage is just there to be like, all right, like 
here is the start of the story, and here is the end of the story. He's nothing more than a plot device. But Kate Winslet, you know, they really beefed up that bell role for her. So, you know, we can't complain that they weren't trying to service the female lead this time around. So, you know, one has to get pushed aside for another to sort of step forward. I was kind of rattling around, like, in my brain, how did he kind of get involved in in something like this, you know? And the only thing I could think of was perhaps he was just thinking, you know, like, I have a son, you know, maybe I'll have more children someday. I should get into animation voiceover work. You know, get into some cartoon films and things. And this, you know, maybe this came across his desk and he said, yes, right away. So Kate Winslet, of course, let's work with her. You know, it's hard to tell how these things are going to turn out in the end. It, it may have seemed like a great idea at the time. You know, let's do this wonderful British animated version of Scrooge. And like, uh, I'll get in there and, and lay some seeds for my animation work yet to come. I know that Cage's mentality of doing movies that his kids could enjoy is something that we're going to, that he's going to make public that, you know, he says in interviews and he says, looking back now, this sort of kind of kicks off his run of kids movies, right? So like we're a couple years away still from National Treasure and we're a couple years even further from more animated movies like The Ant Bully and stuff like that. I don't see any other reason why he would do this kind of movie other than hey, I have kids now, or I have a son now, I want him to see this movie. I get to work with, like you said, I get to work with Kate Winslet, who's just a couple years off from being in the biggest movie of all time. Other than that, I don't know. I mean, I think that's going to shape a lot of the rest of Cage's career in terms of the movies that he's choosing, that he kind of mixes in the artistically challenging, darker movies like, you know, Bad Lieutenant, with movies that his son can watch in, say, two years, as opposed to, like, 15 years. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That must be the answer, but it still makes me wonder, like, what drew him to this particular script? Because I'm sure, you know, at this time, he's still a huge star. Up through this point, has probably been offered other animated stuff. Like, I really wonder what made him say yes to this. I can't find any trivia about this at all. I don't know anything about this movie, about how it was made or anything. I I don't know. It's a little strange just because he'll have, like, this relationship with Disney down the line, you know, like with those National Treasure films and other films, and already he's been involved with Jerry Bruckheimer on that side and so forth. So it is a little strange that he didn't come out of the gate with like a Lion King or like Aladdin, you know what I mean? Or like a role in a Disney film that was sort of tailored to him, you know? Like imagine if they made a, created a role in the vein of like the genie that they did for, you know, Robin Williams, just someone that completely portray his persona in a cartoon. But in this yeah, it's just, I'm not sure. I, I just expected his animation game to come out of the gate a little more gangster. I don't know, just a little more mainstream, perhaps. I agree. But instead, we have Christmas Carol the movie. And I think this is the last Christmas movie that he's done up to this point, right? As far as I can tell, yeah. Um, unless um, Wind Talkers I mean, takes th- place around Christmas time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we get, like, that kind of Christmas theme. If we want to, we can call this the closing of the Christmas trilogy. Yeah, it's the end of an era and the beginning of another. We sort of talked about how this is kind of the... The last couple of movies have marked the transition point in his career, coming off being the major action star. We're now in the 2000s. His career is going to change. He's going to be in some other stuff that, I mean, I don't know really how to describe it other than movies that sort of seem kind of big but never were really massive in terms of like Lord of War and The Weatherman and stuff like that. It's a transitionary period for Cage, and so I think this might be like the turning point, that it ends one thing, begins another, and sort of rockets us onto our second half of Cage Club. 
Yeah, I, you know, I think after Wind Talkers, which we're going to go back to war with, you know, just took out this little Christmas interlude, came home for vacation, and now we're back uh, going to fight. We do come into sort of more of like an indie slant into his career, you know, like you say, Weatherman, we get Adaptation, we Matchstick Men, a couple films that I haven't seen, I think more on the back end I haven't seen than on the front end. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to what we got coming up. Any other last thoughts about A Christmas Carol? If you haven't seen A Christmas Carol before and this story sounds, you know, appealing, you know, seek out one of the other hundred versions, I'd say, <laughs> before going into this and getting further into the mystery of who Belle was and, and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, so really two reasons to watch this over other ones. Number one, obviously, it has Nicolas Cage. And number two, it's sort of more feminine-centered than a lot of the other ones. So mm-hmm. if either of those things are what you're looking for, go for this one. If they're not, Go pretty much anywhere else. For all things Cage Club, for all things Nicolas Cage, you can go to cageclub.me. You can read our reviews for this and for past movies, listen to past podcasts, learn how to follow us on Twitter, rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, one-stop shopping for Nicolas Cage, all things Nicolas Cage at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club. In my head I keep on looking back Right back to the start Wondering what it was that made